Hello, I'm Emma Rice, the Artistic Director of Wise Children, and you're listening to Wise Children's Lockdown. Our lockdown project is about us finding ways of staying close to each other. On this show, I call up an old friend, play some records, and most importantly, get to chat and reminisce. Come and join us for Tea and Biscuits. And welcome to Wise Children's Lockdown Tea and Biscuits. And today I'm talking with my old mucker, Tristan Sturrock. Hi, Tris. Yeah. <laughs> my first question you've already answered, because I always ask, what is your biscuit of choice? And you've just held it up to the camera. Um, tell people what you have. I'm holding up for Emma Rice a Tunnock's Caramel Chocolate Wafer. That is like the sight and tastes of the 1970s. It is a biscuit of the 70s, where I am from. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love it. This was so hard, trying to whittle down a biscuit. I was like, I've been sweating over the music, I've been sweating over the biscuits, <laughs> the tea's gone cold. Oh. This is desperately. It's a disaster. Yeah, caramel, I had to this, this is a classic, this is a classic, and this is something that I've just constantly and still do yeah, part favorite. man part tonics caramel because it is worth saying that we are nearly well we're born only three days apart aren't we we're exactly the same generation yeah absolutely bang on yeah yeah 67 yeah 67 that's right August yeah. it was a heat wave as well our poor mothers yeah. had us in a heat wave in 1967 well my mother because I'm a twin my mother didn't know that she was having twins. Yeah, she was. Our heartbeats were in sync, and uh, and so they listened. You know, they didn't have the technology. They'd listen in and because our heartbeats were in sync. They didn't had no idea until my mother gave birth. Wow! And they went, "Hang on, Mrs. Stark, there's another." Were you first or second? I was first. Oh, good. So they're, oh, hey. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. There's one more. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. When they told my yeah, because and also the fathers weren't allowed in, so they had to phone dad. And said, we don't know how to tell you this, and so he had a he imagined like he had a baby with I don't know five arms or something, <laughs> two <laughs> two babies. Yeah. So yeah. how's lockdown been for you? Paint me a picture. Oh my god, it's a weird one. Um, it's been kind of. I mean, of course, it's the strangest, strangest, weirdest time, but. Also, it's been rather fantastic having my children back and around. Just not where you're not allowed, they're not allowed to go out and do anything. So we've had this really bizarre, weird and wonderful time. Although it's kind of like a strange movie, it's been, um, it's just been wonderful being in the garden with them, trying to teach them and them sort of not responding. Um, so I've kind of had a, a kind of a, kind of a, a wonderful kind of experience with it. Although I know it's an awful time, of course, but I've actually been having a wonderful time in the garden with the it, kids. It's forced some of us that have spent our lives sort of straying to go home for a while. And that's been a bit special, hasn't it? And a bit challenging and a bit special. But I have to say, I wish, I wish that there'd been some cameras on the wall of some 
duffer actors trying to teach their children. I mean, oh. when I think about my friends trying to do that, I have to say, I, I well, can't see, imagine. I'm, yeah, no, I mean, I'm just, you know, uh, as you know, I'm Mr. Rubbish when it comes to academia and that sort of thing. I've been great at doing all the things like, you know, the activities and the, you know, like let's go out, dress up and, you know, muck about. I've been brilliant and excelling at that. <laughs> Let's sort of climb a tree and dangle out of it. I've been really good at all of that element of a creative, creative teaching. Whereas Katie's been doing the real hard work. But let me go, Dad. This is all very well and good, but we need to do some maths, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's what Gina said. God, you're just not very good at teaching, are you? Nope, I'm not. No. Let's go outside and jump in the pool. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's been it's been so weird because it has forced us all to, you know, reflect on something that is, uh, yeah, with our whole business is, you know, it's just. Oh, Hello. Oh, that's Steph Curtis, but she's gone. Don't worry. Wondering where I am. <laughs> It's been a strange old time and I have been reflecting and doing these tea and biscuits has made me reflect on all sorts of things. So I normally let my guests choose the first bit of music, but I'm ripping it out of your grasp today and I'm choosing the first one. And I am choosing a song that I completely associate with you and with that first summer of 1994 when I joined Knee High and I came to be in Carmen Famously, I auditioned for Carmen and they asked me to, um, they'd say they wanted me for Carmen and I believed I was going to be playing Carmen, but no, I wasn't. I actually arrived in Cornwall to be playing the non-speaking girlfriend part. <laughs> but I remember that. <laughs> only Nehi could sort of confuse what makes somebody think they're playing the leading lady, but they're not. But, Dangle it in front of your nose. Good, tempt <laughs> Take it away. To Cornwall and then rip it away. Yeah. But it didn't matter because, I mean, I fell hook, line and sinker for the whole lot of you and Cornwall. And it was so intoxicating. And I think back to those times and you and Giles King and Mike Shepard and Bill Mitchell and Jim Carey and Alan Drake. And it was so, and Beck Appleby and Mary Woodvine and Anna Murphy, these wild, crazy people that played music and lit fires and partied into the early hours and were dark and strange in the morning and had pointy sideburns and oh, yeah. <laughs> drove through long hair that they couldn't do anything with. And you had, now what was it called? You had that yellow Renault 4. Yeah. Was it the passion? Oh my wagon? god, my It was. Oh yeah. I took that all round Cornwall. <laughs> took that all and <laughs> visiting various and yeah. And you, I can remember being sort of nervous and not knowing anybody. You took me you drove me somewhere in Cornwall in the passion wagon. And you drove so fast around those corners and you and I was going, is this a little bit fast? And you'd say, Oh, I know the roads really well. And I wanted to go, yes, but it doesn't matter how well you know the roads, there might be something coming in the other direction. I was so bloody frightened. But you sort of had this, you were like rock stars. And I think there was a bit of uh, thrill seeking in that, that people were pushing boundaries and it was scary and it was amazing. And you were addicted to this song, as was I, and we played it in that car. Once there was this key Got into an accident and couldn't come to school But when he finally came 
back his hair had turned from black into bright white He said that it was from when the cousin smashed his sword Once there was this girl who wouldn't go and change with the girls in the me right back oh my god yeah absolutely that that was like a real moment of connection i remember with you because i mean <laughs> other than your audition for carmen which i remember we i remember when you came down because we were partnered up and i remember thinking my god she's strong <laughs> <laughs> dancing you were like we're doing this samba you're flipping me around i was like bloody hell i'm all right she's strong yeah and <laughs> I then polish at the time wasn't i and i was yeah, flipping you around I, like a rag doll that's right, you were full of the joys of garden each. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that's right, full of your Polish charms. And and we were just silly, silly clowns, just silly, yeah, a bunch of sort of dafties on a cliff. That's right. Oh, yeah, my yellow van that got beautifully, um, 
it got beautifully damaged by uh, it, it was sat outside in the car park and it got kind of comically it got comically broken into because it was an old Renault 4 post van and they the people to get into it is really easy because the, the doors are like made of tin they bent both doors open side by side so it looked like a dog <laughs> if you didn't put a nose it it was like I remember not not thinking oh no my van's been broken into I just remember burst out laughing that is the funniest <laughs> breaking into I've ever seen peeled anyway. your car open hey they peeled your car open they like peeled a it open, yeah. <laughs> um talk to me a little bit about those early days because you'd join knee join knee high when you were 17 I think long before I joined but there was a um I always felt like you were looking to escape and being pulled back all the time and I think Carmen was one of those times you were it was family wasn't it you sort of can't live with them can't live without them but talk to me about those early days in your relationship totally I mean I like you say I joined the company when I was a boy you know uh, I was 18 just turned 18 when I joined Lehigh and it was extraordinary when I joined so, similar similar experience to you in the sense that I, I arrived with what felt like my people I thought ah this is the place where you have fun this is this suddenly all makes sense and and I spent quite a long time up until that point up until that show where I you know was was a kid just exploring play and how we made work and devising but by that point then I felt I'd grown I wanted to do something different I wanted to move on and explore other forms of theatre other ways of making work maybe I don't know you know I was growing up I suppose and thinking oh, I need to move on to the next thing and also Growing up in Cornwall, you you want to move away. You want to go to the big city. You want to get out. And I suppose I needed to, to do that. But it was really hard when you join a company like Nehi. Like you say, it's a family. And it's that always the pull uh, pulling you back in a way. And I felt, you know, I was constantly trying to escape. But it was a difficult time that because uh, I was pulled in two directions. Um, you know, all my mates were there having a brilliant time because we'd do all these outdoor shows. Um, but I always had this itch, this burn to get away. So you're absolutely right. It was a, it was a, it was a brilliant making the work, but at the same time, I really was torn and had to sort of like leave. And I did. I, I did that several times over the years. We'd go away, and once I was away, I was thinking, "What the hell am I doing here?" I've got to get back to the cliffs. I've got, so I was always pulled back. And gradually over the years, you know, I'd spend more time away and then I'd come back. But each time I came back, I'd become more joyful. Whereas before, it was, in the early days, it was painful when I came back. Because I, like, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. I need to be doing something else. Not something else. I mean, I, I just felt like I needed to be elsewhere, you know, because that's the thing as a young man. But we were. I mean, you're talk, we're talking about when we met, we were both 27 at that point. So, yeah, the, you were on a new chapter, weren't you? But yeah. that's the thing about companies, isn't it? Is there a, when they're good, they're really, really good. And when they're bad, they're horrid because the, there's guilt and there's um, loyalties and there's upset. You know, it's not like an ordinary job is that the upsets are really, really deep. And I think I, I think that's one thing I've learned with age which is people come and go and they'll come back. We all come back. I mean, the number of times we've said goodbye to people and then who knew five years later, they're like, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, oh, it's true. You know that, I mean, I, 
the thing with being in the company, you know, it is so all you're there, you're you're in a van in a tiny space for huge chunks of time, or you're, you know, with Nihai in those early days, you're in a barn or a school, you know, you you live together, you live together, which is a difficult and wonderful thing, you know, um, and. I suppose that's part of it. You become so, you know, you, you come more than close in, in, in some, you know, at some periods. And yeah, it's, it's, it was a really extraordinary time. A lot, you know, um, really, you made, you make these sort of bonds that are so, so desperately deep. And then also, the, so the blow ups are equally as explosive and as strong. But, you know, like it's you say, as, time as well. And I remember yeah. you, um, you know, I'm saying this all with such love, but, you know, you'd when you were on, you were irresistible and in, and then there'd be dark times and it would be like you'd left the building for a while. And I, that's what I remember a lot about you and, and being absolutely fascinated as well. But I, I look back and I understand it so totally, so totally. And that's the thing about tours, isn't it? And they're often after big, you know, the downtimes are often after big nights, you know, that you'd have these big blowouts and you'd wake up one morning in Torrington. I remember sleeping on, and our, we were we were sleeping in horse boxes, weren't we? And the back of vans. And I can remember once sleeping on a sofa in some bloke who I'd never met's house with an Alsatian dog scratching at the door. I'm thinking, What's, what am I doing? And that's when the big crashes used to happen, isn't it? Oh no, and it's funny when we're talking about you know meeting up and having this chat. That's you start to go back down those roads and think, my God, did that happen? Did we? Did? And I, when I talk to you know my children about what I do, because they don't think I do it. Well, I don't do anything now, but they sort of say, you know, what, what do you do? And I was trying to explain about stories about the work that I did when I was you know a little bit older than they are now. And exactly, you think, my God, did I do that? But it's true, the life you lead and the experiences and those little moments, you think, my God, that we did that. We did, you know, and, and it's it's also born of you do a show, but then you'd have that this release afterwards where you'd go and get completely sort of blitzed and go off on another adventure. And then, like you say, then 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 there'd be this crash and this the, the blueness of, uh, you know, this, these sort of darker moments. But that was sort of all part of the world. That was all part of the it journey was as well. Wasn't and it? then we, did that. and we, yeah, and, yeah, and I think so that alive. Became, became, yeah, absolutely. It, we we really were sort of felt. It really felt a lot of the time that we were sort of <laughs> traveling players. But do, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? In the best sense, I felt we were rock stars. Yeah, it was that, especially when we, you know, when when we do those tours in in Holland and Germany, and you know, and those early days where you were just it was it was like it was uh, it was street theatre, you know, and it was on the edge, and you'd meet these God, some of the companies, some of those early European companies we met who were just it was like Hell's Angels, you know, it was just out there jumping through fire, and you think, yeah, this is. This is fantastic. You know, there was no no sense of health and safety. It's, you know, it was just totally exhilarating. I want to move you on to your first choice. But before we do, I, it's good that you say health and safety because you've had a few injuries over the years. And I just want to, before we move on from Carmen, you did get a mach- machete in your foot on that tour, didn't you? 
Yeah, I did. You know, I like to pick up some kind of accent each show. Each show, I like to pick a little scar. You know, uh, yeah, I did. Um, with Giles, my mate, my mate Gilesy, um, to right at, it was right at the very end of the show. We were at the Minac, Minac Theatre. That's right. And at the very end of the show, there's the fight between sort of the Matador and uh, Giles' character. But we had to be, you know, lovely Bill Mitchell giving us these Bill Hook machetes. And each night, Giles was gradually sharp because the, the, the stage, the Minak, is concrete. So he used to sort of like scrape these Bill Hook machetes because he used to get sparks off them. This looks great. You get these sparks going. And then. Uh, he'd sort of charge at me like a bull with these with these machetes, and he'd land the machete right close to my foot. But I think it was like the last night, I'd put my foot too close. I had Doctor Martin boots on, but he, but the machete went straight through the boot and came out came out came out my ankle. But I didn't know. I thought it just bruised it. I thought because I didn't you know adrenaline whatever. I remember coming off stage thinking, oh, my feet feel a bit sweaty. <laughs> and then the blood started coming over the top of your boot. Oh, my God. And then I thought, oh, oh, and then went a bit pale. And then I remember then strapping the boots back on, finished the last scene with a big fire, big fireball, got that off with the stilts. on stilts. And I remember thinking, oh, God, my feet's bleeding. Oh. And then, and then the, oh, and then the shame of being carried up through the Minak audience with <laughs> blood pouring out of my feet. I thought it might have been Bill carrying this little withered performer up the steps and out to the ambulance. We've got to move on, but we also, I don't think it was the same show, but Alan Drake got sort of second degree burns on that burning ball as well. I mean... Yeah, it was constant. There was always, you know... It was um, always a major injury, wasn't there? Eight men twisting himself off his pelvis, one of his balls blowing up to the size of a melon, <laughs> falling off... Like, yeah, it was like every every other show. It was. Those were the <laughs> days. Those were the days. <laughs> Come on, move oh. on. What's your, fir- what's your first choice and why? Right, first choice. So we're leaping forward a bit. Um, 2003. So this is... I've gone Beyonce. Yes. And this is Crazy in Love. And this reminds me of a time. So this is the time where I kind of basically come back to Cornwall. It's one of these things where I'd escaped and then come back again. And uh, this track just reminds me of driving from the little house, we, the first house we got in Padstow and driving to Restorma Castle where we'd been uh, rehearsing and making Tristan and Isolde. This is 2003. And it always reminds me of that drive. So deep in your eyes, I touch 
That is such a that is just it's a memory trigger and it's brilliant. It was such a happy and time because that show we didn't know it was going to become you know it evolve into this thing. But I remember at the time I had a gap away from being with Nehi and was miserable. You know I'd been sort of doing telly and it was miserable. And you said and I'd gone down to the barns met with you guys at a party and you said come down we're doing the show and it'd be great to have you around and and it was like. Yeah. Well, that was because I hadn't, because we'd met as actors. Yeah. As I say, I'd been flipping you around. In fact, I once slapped you so hard I burst your eardrum. Yeah, another in little. Show. Yeah. Because <laughs> no, we didn't believe in stage slaps. We were too cool for stage slaps. So I just slapped you. Yeah, slap yeah. me as hard as you can. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> that hard. <laughs> My ears are bleeding. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, God. Um, so that's how we met. And then you'd gone off in one of your exits from the company. Um, the yeah. other things happened in the middle. And I started directing. And yeah. when Tristan and Isol, I inherited from Bill Mitchell. Bill was going to direct it. And he yeah. gave it to me. And I didn't want to do it. Um, I think it was the third show I directed. I, I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into this medieval world. And I thought, well, never mind. It's only four weeks rehearsal, and then it's only in Cornwall. 
just yeah. just do it and nothing will happen. And then I couldn't think who could be my Tristan. And I, th- I think Mike said, what about Tristan? And I can remember thinking he won't come back. <laughs> but I did. I put I put down like a little trail and said, well, might you? And I didn't know, but it obviously coincided with the moment when you were feeling a bit miserable. But what a happy moment that was because you, that bit of casting and you being in the room and what you brought to that role just landed such, I mean, it was a magic happening, wasn't it? I mean, the chemistry of those six people. And of course I was in it as well. Yeah, no, yeah, it was just white hands. Yeah. And, and- that was the thing. Um, it's like you said, it was, you know, you've been bubbling along with with directing and, and, and getting a whole thing going with the company that was such a shift on from where it had been. You know, the, the company's always gone through these sort of changes, these necessary kind of changes that just sort of happen. It's not by design. That's the thing that's interesting isn't it, about the work is they happen through a kind of necessity and, and you push forward that next sort of shift, the next sort of phase of where the company was going was definitely through your energy and through your vision and through your skill as a as an emerging director at that time and so right you know and and all all of us sort of crazies and various other people it just seemed right it was just the the right people at the right time to sort of you know that everyone had a need to be there and and it was exciting and fun and and there wasn't a sense of there wasn't an expectation you know there wasn't a sense of oh, this has to be, it was great. It was like the slate was clean. Let's go out there and play, seriously play. And we were seriously good at doing that, you know. And so it was It was, It was. was joyful, hilarious. And, but also really, you know, the work was really sort of deep as well, I think. Yeah. It, it, without a sort of thing, well, let's, let's find this. It just kind of it evolved that way because I think we were all we were all open to it at the time. We were all at a sort of at a peak on some levels, weren't we? All, I mean, you have lots of different peaks, but yeah, we came together. I mean, I look back on that as well, and I think it's the one show I did not know how it was going to come out. I had no idea, and yeah. that it was such a collective happening. And you, think- Tristan, was so deeply troubled and deeply I felt there was a pull of the dark side of death actually which I felt you completely pulled into and then the, the rescue of the love with his alt but also the pain of it and I just think we went very deep with almost yeah. no words yeah yeah uh, and uh, but again I think that was I mean uh, you say you know we didn't you know we we, we what am I trying to say here? I, you allowed that because you didn't set a parameter of saying, right, this is this is how we're going to get to this space. Because you were so brave in your openness to all the elements that were there, all the people there, all, you know, because you left, you know, left, you held your nerve. It's that classic expression. You held your nerve and said, no, let's just see where it takes us. And uh, you allowed... All things, you know, everything became possible. You know, we had you, you laid down parameters by saying, okay, what, well, what's this? What, you know, what's the world of it? We started, you started to nail down definite areas of the world, which then allowed that kind of freedom and allowed us to go into these dark spaces without having to say stuff. It was filmic in that way, and I think we all shared a common, um, you know, we all shared a common sort of goal in that because I think of your, you know your clarity in terms of saying right okay this is these are this is where the world ends here this is this is what what we you know what, what we want to deal with dealing with it, it's you know it's sexy it's cool it's these things and so we all knew you know knew where to play knew where the boundaries were 
Yeah. What a Sample. what a piece. And you know, you and Ava Maggi are just an amazing chemistry, and not an easy chemistry. You know, the opposite of Hollywood. Straight no, and, and instinctive and not easy, you know, a sort of an amazing electricity. Which was, yeah, that was, I remember you introducing me to Abra. I think we had a party. We, we had a party at the Barnes and that was our kind of, you know, <laughs> that's how we kicked off, which is great. What a great way, you know, that's how it should be. And I remember just, I, you know, I don't, th- I don't think Ava spoke much English at the time. And, and I remember we just sort of met each other through dancing. I think just dance, and this ridiculous dance. <laughs> it was like, that's how it started. But yeah, she's kind of this extraordinary woman. And, uh, and I remember that was, that was our first meeting with no words, just like this crazy dance. Yeah. So this is for Tristan and Isolt. This is Sink Down. Tristan Sturrock on vocals with Mandy Lawrence and Dom Lawton. Music by Stu Barker and lyrics from the Wagner. Oh, sink down upon us Night of love Make me forget I live Oh, take me into Tris, it's beautiful. Always feels on the edge of something, which is what I think about you as well, on the edge of something and you don't know what it is. 
That it's sounds true. ruder than it is, but I mean that uh, really seriously about you as a performer. I think you push yourself to limits and you always hold hold back something. There's something mysterious and that, that is pure charisma. Oh, thank you, Anne. Well, well I, you know, I've just been really lucky uh, in the sense of, I suppose, my journey has been about has been about that I suppose working with a company with knee high for most of your life your training it allows you to sort of uh, be in those places and it's funny going out we talk about these journeys about sort of being with a company like that and then oh no getting away and working in other spaces we worked together at the RSC you know we did we, we sort of met up in other places as well you know and, and having journeys into you know I suppose what the, the business and more straight sort of avenues of work it doesn't allow you to sort of be on the edge it needs to be nailed down and it's sort of you, you do that and you realise well it leaves you nowhere to go it doesn't leave any kind of mystery and I don't know it doesn't allow you to be in the moment very often but um, I've been lucky that I've been been able to make work that has allowed me to do that at times Speaking of being on the edge I feel that I can't talk about Tristan Nizolt and you without talking about The Wall and May Day <laughs> Yeah Well Come on. That, that, that that is again the, the, the choice of music of uh, Crazy in Love again was it was about that 2003 it's about that time we just made um, the show at Rescormal, and it was that we were about to do it again, weren't we? Mm-hmm. At um, at the Minac, and so it was that summer. It was just well, May, first of May, and um, I I moved down to Cornwall. We bought a house in Padstow. We've been doing it up, and then of course, first of May in Padstow is May Day, big May Day celebrations. Do you want me to no no don't tell the story goes on but essentially yeah I um yeah I broke my neck on that day um very mundane accident I've been in the pub with my sister who had a shop in Padstow and in in the two pubs in Padstow they sort of drum in the osses the obby osses and it was a fantastic night I was on my way home Katie was pregnant back up in the house saying can you bring me some chips I was walking all the way up the hill back to where we lived and she was phoning me on the mobile to say where's the chips and I sat down on a little low wall put the phone to my ear and I leant back thinking that there was a wall behind me and there wasn't and I just kept going backwards about 10 feet and my neck landed on a concrete lintel and then I was instantly paralysed and the phone had gone and I was lying there kind of I was awake um, but I couldn't move. My mind, you know, brain's going, uh, right, get up. And those normally those instant reactions of you get up just didn't happen. And I'm lying there looking at my feet, which seemed to be in a strange angle. And I knew immediately that I, something was really seriously wrong. And, and, you know, I could see people at the bottom of the street. I was trying to shout for help. And then I realised I couldn't breathe. I was sucking in air and trying to say help. And I couldn't say help. And then I realised it was really, in, really in serious, serious trouble. And I thought, well, that was it. That was it. That's where I'm going to, this is it. I'm going to die here. And I remember thinking, oh, bloody hell, what way to go? Stupid idiot bit pissed at the bottom of a wall god you know and then you know lying there not being able to do a thing 
thinking, well, something will happen or I'm going to die here. It's probably going to be the dying one. <laughs> but I remember finding it ridiculously amusing and, you know, and just think, oh, well, you know, just it kept, you know, coming back to the fact of how stupid it was. And then I must have passed out. But then eventually, I, you know, because what came to, I'm in uh, Trelisk and it, it was, yeah, I was about to be airlifted then to Plymouth. But I remember you, then you guys came it was like the because we were supposed to be meeting up on may day we were going to a wedding weren't we to a friend's wedding and we got the call i mean it it's so not funny and actually thinking about it of course it's not funny but thinking about it we all grew up that day you know everybody had been dicing with everything we'd been rolling the dice and winning for years and the day you came off the wall i think the life changed for me certainly and me and Mike Shepherd came to see you in Trelisk. And mm. it was devastating, Tris. Devastating to think. Because we didn't know that you were going to be okay. No. And we didn't. No. You didn't know you were going to be okay. We didn't know you were going to no. walk again or feel again or. No. Um, yeah, and something changed in that, that fall for not yeah. just you and all the people close to you, but mm. all the ripples went through all of us, I think. Yeah, it was it was it was major and and huge. And I yeah, you you and Mike were the first people I'd seen outside of you know obviously Katie and uh, and the family. And 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 I remember that hitting me really hard, thinking just you know as you do at that time, thinking I want to make it right for anyone who visited. Visited, thinking you know you know you felt responsible for how people feel when they see you know you're in that situation you could see it in their you know in your face and mike's face and you know people who came that you loved and you thought oh god and so you're always i suppose that and i still do try and make light of it it's 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 funny but looking back of course it was a really desperate desperate thing and like i say a life changer in lots of ways it, it suddenly flicked a huge switch yeah you can't have felt those things and thought those things without something changing because we were invulnerable we were like yeah. superheroes weren't we yeah and we laughed machetes went through feet toes got broken we fell on our heads you know it was um, everybody got up and you didn't get up that day and I think that that changed but what happened on a small scale is we were determined because suddenly the word had got out about Tristan and Isolt and the national were interested and me and Mike said to each other, we are going to do Tristan Isart again. And Tristan, no matter what state he ends up in, is going to be Tristan. And I can remember making that promise to myself and to you, even though I didn't say it to your face, which is whatever whatever the outcome of this is, if you're alive, you're going to be my Tristan. And then, um, you know, we can fast forward to, you know, apart from the fact that you're a bit rubbish with your phone because you haven't got much feeling in your fingers. You know, it, it's all come good in the end. But I can remember when you came back into Tristan and Isolt, there's a scene when he nearly he's nearly dead after a battle and Isolt heals him and teaches him to walk. And that used to bring it all up for me every night. I felt that I'd watched my friend mm. die. Mm. Um, goodness knows what it was like for Katie to watch her, you know, her fella. But, I mean, I can't imagine and... But I used to live through the sort of the resurrection every time I saw that show with you. Well, I mean, that was the extraordinary thing. I couldn't, and I remember you saying that to me, you know, when I was in hospital, you know, not being able to walk, thinking, yes, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be there, but also not knowing at all and thinking, yeah. yeah. But, but, but you sort of making that promise and 
that was a huge moment for me as well because I was thinking, okay, because you know I'd have dark moments before thinking, well, that's it. This is how I. This is what I do, you know. And suddenly, you know, and it happens to loads of people. Of course, thousands of people. These uh, life-changing um, accidents happen. But it's it when you're confronted with that moment of, well, that's it. That this this element's taken away now. But to it, those little mo- those seeds of hope were, you know immense for me to sort of have uh, a goal towards and 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 I think back now and I think my god that was so close after the accident to be the national doing what we were doing with that show but also doing it again suddenly having such meaning in certain areas like you said certain areas of the show just rang out you know in a different way entirely. I mean, I know we were doing it indoors. There were lots of elements of the show that grew and changed, but as a performer on the inside after that event, it uh, had all sorts of ripples and echoes, you know, for me as well. I don't know whether I'm misremembering this or making it up, but I'm suddenly thinking I have a memory of, because it was so soon after your sort of rehabilitation, Mm. that you you were doing lots of things from muscle memory that you couldn't quite feel yeah. your body in the same way but you you had this because you, were, you no. were such an incredible physical performer that actually having going back into a show that you knew that your body was sort of forcing itself to do things through memory yeah no it was a really good thing for me I, I had an extraordinary uh, surgeon um, Tim German who, who sort of put me back together and the whole team there were amazing and he was he was he was incredible. He said, "Yeah, if you get the opportunity to do that, you take it because it would be so good for you because there's elements you know uh, that are now missing that you won't get back. Uh, but it is it's about muscle memory and being a performer. I was so lucky because it allows you to visualize something you know like you as as you would if you're miming something. So you use your the memory of how your muscles tense in order to feel where shapes are, and so." It's sort of second nature now, you know, years and years later it is. But at the time, doing a, a physical show like that was brilliant. It you forced you to, you know, I wasn't really up to speed with walking, you know, but it, it pushed my whole rehab on <laughs> massively. And, you know, and the, the, the you know, sink down, playing playing the cello, cause, you know, that was great because they were big, chunky strings. You know, my fine, my sort of fine dexterous thing, you know, like I say, I was forever losing change out of my pockets because I couldn't feel anything. You know, I couldn't... Because you lost everything, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, it was all... Yeah. So, you know, you win some, you lose some. But I, in a way, that... that uh, that sense of no feeling was kind of perfect for the character as well you know it, mm. that was a whole nother a thing on numbness a numbness in this man that is all breathed life into I'm wanting to wanting to feel and that and yet there's nothing there and yeah so it it, it had all that as well but yeah, it was an extraordinary thing to do the show and because I was always in denial you know I was like, no it's going to be fine and actually that show has so many uh, massive, massive memories and, and resonances for me personally. Let's move us on, otherwise we'll be here all night. Yeah, sorry, um, yeah. I think your next choice is going to bring us on to Brief Encounter. What is it and tell me why. Okay, we've gone uh, Beyonce's partner Jay-Z, we're going for Empire State of Mind. And this track completely just sums up the feeling of standing uh, in Brooklyn Heights looking at Manhattan. 
Yeah. Yeah, I'm out at Brooklyn, now I'm down in Tribeca, right next to the Narrow, but I'll be hood forever, I'm the new Sinatra, and since I made it here, I can make it anywhere, yeah, they love me everywhere, I used to cop in Harlem, all of my Dominicanos right there up on Broadway, pulled me back to that McDonald's, took it to my stash spot, 560 State Street, catch me in the kitchen like a Simmons whipping pastry, cruising down A Street, off-white Lexus, driving so slow, but BK is from Texas, me, I'm out that Bed-Stuy, home of that boy, Biggie. Now I live on Billboard, and I brought my boys with me Say what up to Tata, still sipping my ties Sitting courtside, Knicks and Nets give me high five Nigga, I be spiked out, I could trip a referee Tell by my attitude that I most definitely from I made the Yankee hat more famous than the Yankee can You should know I bleed blue, but I ain't a crypto But I got a gang of niggas walking with my click though Welcome to the melting pot, corners where we selling rock Africa been by the shit, home of the hip-hop Yellow cap, gypsy cap, dollar cap, holla back For foreigners it ain't fair, they act like they forgot how to act Eight million stories, out there in the naked City, it's a pity, half of y'all won't make it Me, I got a plug, special ed, I got it made If Jesus paying LeBron, I'm paying Dwayne Wade Three dice, Zelo, three card Marley Labor Day Parade, rest in peace, Bob Marley Statue of Liberty, long live the world trade Long live the king, yo, I'm from the Empire State That's So they could step out of bounds quick The sidelines is lined with casualties Who sip the life casually Then gradually become worse Don't fight the apple Eve Caught up in the in crowd Now you're in style And in the winter gets cold In vogue with your skin out City of sin It's a pity on a whim Good girls going bad The city's filled with them Mommy took a bus trip Now she got a bus out Everybody ride her Just like a bus route Hail Mary to the city You're a virgin And Jesus can't save you Life starts when the church in came in for school graduated to the highlight ball players rap stars addicted to the limelight empty in may got you feeling like a champion the city never sleeps better slip you an ambient
State of Mind, Jay-Z featuring Alicia Keys. So I'm going to take us back a little bit because um, there was another chapter which we don't go into and you went away for a while. And then again, a brief encounter landed on my lap. So we're missing out matter of life and death, but we're going to leapfrog that for another podcast, maybe. Oh my God. Yeah, because that's a huge, that's That's another huge one, isn't it? Oh my God. We're going to leapfrog it today. It's so hard, Ed, because there's just oh, no. too many sections. That, and that, Anyway, yeah. Brief Encounter, another big show, needs a leading man. And that's what's clear is you were my guy, you know, you were my leading man. We're probably too old now, you know, you're, you're, we're slipping into the character roles now. I just need a bonnet, don't I? And, <laughs> and you need a pipe. <laughs> but, you know, you were my romantic lead and you, you know, you, your restraint and your taste and your physicality are irresistible to me and always will be. So when Brief Encounter came, I knew that you would be my Alec, my Alec Harvey. And it was another magic happening it was another magic chemistry um crazy ride david Pugh producing i mean it came we so many sort of ups and downs and will we won't we but we did go to the west end with it and we did go to new york with it what this is the i mean this whole ride this whole journey i mean brief encounter of me kind of encapsulates for me my entire knee-high experience but just in one show, in a way. I remember starting at the Barnes with you at the Barnes and then having this West End producer who sort of fly in, fly out. But I remember the intimacy of making that show, you know, and uh, and that, you know, the joy of making, you know, starting in the Barnes, in our little Barnes, you know, in Cormen on a Cliff, and the journey that it went then went on and sort of, sort of feels like still is on, you know. It, you know, again, planting that tiny little seed and it, you know, going to places, you know, arriving in New York, you know, I know I'm sort of zipping forward, but for me, that's what I remember having moments sitting in Studio 54, where we took the show, sitting on the set thinking, bloody hell, I remember sitting in a PE cupboard doing TIE with Nehi, and I'm sort of here with this same company, you know, performing in front of Steve Martin and David Bowie. It was kind of extraordinary, you know. So there's that sort of side to it, but the show itself was so special, you know, so special. And it such a... That early, that early R&D, because what was interesting, I remember it very, very clearly, but I remember one particular sequence which had, um, I'd found a Noel Coward song called Go Slow Johnny and we were looking at the boathouse scene, which is when they'd get, um, Alec and Laura have got wet and their clothes are drying out and they first, it's the first time that he says, I I love you. They first sort of name their love. And um, it's really the impossibility. It's heartbreaking. And we'd put together, we'd got the music. We'd been working for a while. You and Naomi Fredericks had been, hadn't been working together long. And we put it together quite roughly. I think I put a shape on it, said speak now. And then we you dressed her that's what I remember it's the opposite of a striptease normally if people are getting it on they take each other's clothes off and this was we had the idea what if they dress each other and that scene really never changed from that moment it happened the chemistry happened in that moment in a in a workshop in a barn and and I can remember holding my breath with the how thick the air was and thinking this somehow my job now is to 
it's to take care of this, not to change it, but to to hold on to it and know that something precious just happened. I, I, it's one of the highlights of my life watching that scene come to life. Oh, it's so vivid, and I am absolutely Williams. Totally, we're yeah, in one of the little back music barns. Stu, just simply, you know, his sort of voice of an angel. It's just sing. It was just the elements were so simple. Just, you know, you're wet. You just. You're just dressing her, you know. You're taking care, taking care, and and uh, you know, thinking about it now, I remember every kind of beat of that, of that moment, of that first moment of doing that scene, and it was we were all excited, and I remember, and and yeah, and to have kept it there and to have caught that was, you know, and you but know that, it, you know yeah. it. The, the the company knows it when that happens. You can feel it, can't you? You can feel the. You can feel the breath go and you can feel the energy in the room, you know, and it's it's almost yeah. religious. It's amazing. Colour change. You just think, yeah. oh, this is really special. And like you say, the skill then is is for you to, how do I cut that out and keep it? How do you, you know, which you're brilliant at, but sometimes, sometimes it's to do with other elements, isn't it? And it's just something, it's a fleeting moment. It's transient. It's gone. But, you, you know, you, you know, I think you're, your skill as an editor knows, you know, you know, right, I've got that scene and that's that's where I place it. That's, you know, that, that's why I think that show is really interesting in terms of your work where, you know, your skill as an editor, because you were working with Coward and, you know, the way that you took things and the way that you adapted, what you know, your choice of how you took uh, certain bits of poetry, certain bits of music and the way you sort of put them together and, you know, and the whole... Well, the sound design, Simon, again, was, you know, that was that was, that was that was the first show you worked on us as well, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It was That's the voice of Simon Baker. <laughs> Simon Baker! Yeah. Which, and that was really exciting. I remember all these all these elements coming in, um, you know, the, 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 the whole sound design, the way that it worked with, you know, with the boys as well. I mean, we had Alex Spann and um, Pete, Pete Judge. Judge. I had them in dresses at first, didn't I? I had them in drag. <laughs> and they hated it. Normally, when you put an actor in an outfit, it doesn't matter how stupid it is, they kind of love it. It's what they live for. If you put a musician in a dress, it's the exact opposite. It's like their world has collapsed in such a profound way. They're like pets. It's like dressing up pets. It's like they have a little dog with a frilly collar. There's nothing they can do. You're being very kind to me about that because I did. I feel I learned my craft as an adapter on Brief Encounter without a doubt. But oh my God, if if the boathouse scene was a moment of theatre sort of <laughs> splendour, I had some terrible ideas because I had it in my head that the that the missing cat in the first scene was the key to it and Laura was like a cat on the tiles and I did have you and Naomi Fredericks dress up as cats in full furry suits and play the ukulele together, didn't I? Oh my God, I'm so pleased that didn't quite make it through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. And I remember thinking, I I can't see this. Where's she going? Where's she going? Cat suited doctor, ukulele. I can't, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. But, you know, it was, I, I, I think I've got, I still have terrible ideas. But I think I've got quicker at noticing them. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't inflict them on as many people. I still want to see people dressed up in cat suits quite a lot, but I resist it a bit more. But it does lead me on to my next choice because I believe that that cat duet was A Room With A View, which having cast out the, the, the original idea that you would be two cats playing this song it was actually Alec Harvey's solo and it was a wonderful moment in the show it'd been I'd I'd thrown everything at Brief Encounter it was we had this amazing sound we had film we had sort of big show model train what model train yes we had we had everything we had music we had a band it was like a feast for the senses and as the impossibility of love became clear the whole show built to just a spotlight nothing else no sound no band and it was just you and a ukulele singing a room with a view and it was another moment where you broke my heart every night because that yearning that you tapped into for a life that you just can't have Alec couldn't have the life he wanted his deep deep melancholy Um, but also I felt Noel Coward's words coming through that song and I thought about what it must have been like to have been gay um, in 1928 at that point and to think of the deep yearning and the deep profundity of those words and I always, I, I used to get moments with Brief Encounter where I felt we were linking hands through history through me to you to knee high to Noel Coward to people that had gone before and I felt that you harnessed everything in this tiny spotlight with a ukulele Oh, I love that one. I've chosen a version which is actually sung by Noel Coward himself. So this is A Room With A View, 1928, Noel Coward. I've been cherishing through the perishing winter nights and days A funny little phrase that means Such a lot to me that you've got to be with me heart and soul For on you the whole thing leaves Come with me and leave behind the noisy crowds Sunlight shines for us above the clouds Please don't turn away or my dream will stay hidden out of sight among a lot of my beings, a room with a view and you, and no one to worry us, no one to hurry us through this dream we found. We'll gaze at the sky. To guess what it's all about Then we will figure out why The world is round We'll be as happy and contented As birds upon a tree High above the mountains and sea We'll build Sorrow will never come, or will it ever come true? A room with a view, a room with a view, a 
one to give advice that sounds a paradise could fail to choose. With fingers entwined, we'll find relief from the preachers who always beseech us to mind. But thank you. We watch the whole world pass before us while we are sitting still. Leaning on our own windowsill We'll bill and we'll coo And maybe a stock will bring This, that and other thing He's a bit more chipper than you were when you sang. Yeah, he's not the melancholy, does he? <laughs> it's all going on, though. It's all going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. That reminds me of listening to that one was when we, um, Any Little Fish. I always think of his voice and when we listen to that one, doing, yeah, doing that version. So, yeah. And that's the so, beauty of Brief Encounter, wasn't it? Is you could go from this light dancing on life as if it didn't matter, like you hear in Nog Howard's voice. But when you listen to the words, just taking the deep dive into the yeah. deep truths and the deep disappointments and the deep, deep heartbreak. And we had some, you know, big life changing. Yeah, I met Sai on that show. Lots of people. There's some babies from that show, aren't they? I mean, God, Adam of course. Manavi. Manavi, yeah. There's been, there's been a lot of love on and off stage in that show it's been really special yeah. really special and that one doesn't go away either same as Tristan and Isol. I always think it's the same as I was saying about friends come back shows come back don't they yeah and and again and I mean that's that's been round the world and I I I several times hasn't it yes <laughs> but that time in New York that was a highlight wasn't it we all knew it that was what's interesting is I feel you you often look back on life and think, wasn't it amazing then? But that but you rarely feel it at the time. You're, you're always yeah. thinking about where you're going to go next or what you should be yeah. doing or whether you're paid enough or, you know. But at, when Brief Encounter was in New York at St Anne's Warehouse, we knew it. We just totally. knew it. And I, you know, I we, we were living our dreams. I think Katie, your wonderful partner, Katie, might have said that. You're, you're walking through your dreams. And I... And I've always remembered that. What a beautiful thing to say, because we knew it. It was electric. We were listening to Jay-Z and living in Brooklyn and doing this show that we loved so much with all our hearts that meant so much to us. And oh, God. I mean, absolutely. And that's why, you know, I picked that track, because so, because we knew it. And it's very rarely in a career where, you know, it happened with Tristan's or happened with this show, where you go, I cannot wait for the audience to audience to see this next scene this next scene oh you wait you like that you 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 know you were like hitting them with one after the other and you knew that you were hitting sort of emotional you know punches here you know laughter punches you know and you just knew it and so yeah when by the time we got to like you say brooklyn we knew we had we were in the best place and and we were you know we'd arrived in that city where you just feel the world spinning beneath your feet and and we were there we were you know kings of new york that's what it felt like it was just absolutely glorious you know glorious what's your last choice tris and why well it links in with um brief encounter 
Uh, and I think we only did this one uh, when I was in the show in the West End, when we in the cinema, I think. And it was uh, at the end of the show, we do like a little encore and like a like a thank you to the audience and a little. Uh, and it had various different guises. This is something you do with a lot of shows and and, and with a brief encounter. I think uh, at the very end we do a, a little song, a little thank you. And, and this is, this song means so much to me in lots of different ways because it was a song my dad, who's not with, with us anymore, said to me, he said, oh, I love this song. He said, this is a really lovely song. And it's, uh, I'll see you in my dreams. It's an old twenties standard. And it just absolutely nailed what was happening within the love story of, um, the show we've just done but it's also a beautiful thank you because i think everyone can link into it in some way everyone can attach what they want or what they need to and it's it's one of those songs i still sing to my kids my kids sing to me now as well and you know it has a lot of you know it was just a little sweet thank you at the end of the show and Stu came up with some beautiful little harmonies and i use all it always just really moves me because it's kind of it, it's a hopeful thing and you can apply it to anything you can apply it to a love affair. You can apply it to family. You can apply it to, you know, a memory. It's it's It does everything for me. Um, and there's a million different versions of it. I mean, I, I don't know which one you found, but I just love the song. And it was something that we was attached to such a, you know, show that meant a lot as well. Well, before we play out with Cliff Edwards singing, I'll See You In My Dreams, can I take a moment, Mr Sturrock, to say... You are one of the most naturally gifted people I have ever met. There's a melancholic poetry in your soul that seeps through your every move, glance and breath. When you're on stage, I watch the world swoon, captivated and intrigued, beguiled and bemused. You come and go from my life like a glorious cat, but when our paths cross, magic happens. I thank you for all the heart, soul and grief you've brought to our adventures, and I look forward to the next time that the cat called Tristan... Fancy's having a play with me again. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, Em. It's been a joy having a little play through these. Thank you. Though the days are long, twilight sings a song of the happiness that used to be. Soon my eyes will close, then I'll find repose. And in dreams you're always near to me I'll see you in my dreams Hold you in my dreams Someone took you out of my arms Still I feel the thrill of your charm Lips that once were mine Tender eyes that shine They will light my way tonight I'll see you in my
I'll hold you in my dreams. Someone took you out of my arms. Still I feel the thrill of your charm. Lips that once were mine. And If you have a memory or connection you'd like to share on Tea and Biscuits, leave us a message on our phone line 0117 318 3846. That's 0117 318 3846. Keep checking our social media for details of our next show. Tea and Biscuits is part of Wise Children's Lockdown. Thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.